was up on board is that Steve Jobs recruited me to be their chief financial officer. And I was at Yahoo at the time and I said, I, I really had the best CFO job in the world and I, as much as I respected Steve, I wasn't interested. But he was super persistent <laughs> and he had me come up to uh, the headquarters for the day and I met a lot of people, producers and everyone. And, uh, and I left and said again that I really appreciated what he was doing but I, I really felt like I should stay at Yahoo and uh, the next thing I knew he asked me to join the board. More than a decade ago, Steve Jobs asked Sue Decker to be the chief financial officer at Pixar. Decker said no. She did, however, join Pixar's board of directors. At the time, Decker ran finance at Yahoo. The decline of Yahoo has become the stuff of Silicon Valley legend. Today, the company is in the process of getting absorbed into Verizon at a fraction of its former value. Sue Decker, on the other hand, has done just fine in the eight years since she left that internet company. This is Fort Knox, rich ideas and powerful people. I'm John Fort. This is a weekly podcast bringing you the highest achievers from business, entertainment, philanthropy, and sport. We're going to learn how the very best climb to the top and pull out lessons along the way. If that sounds good to you, make this a habit. Subscribe on Apple's podcast app or Google Play. And once you've done that, tell a friend. These talks are definitely conversation starters. Sue Decker is one of the few people that some of the top U.S. companies seek for guidance. Aside from Pixar, she's also served on the boards of Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway, chip giant Intel, retail powerhouse Costco, and others. On her path to those boardrooms, Decker's gained a rare perspective on what works and what doesn't when you're trying to work your way up. I sat down with her on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange to talk about her new startup and her path to success. Here's Sue Decker. Thank you for having me. It's a delight to be here. And yes, we're launching a product called Rafter in the Apple Store and in the mobile web. And it's essentially a communications platform to talk about the stories that we all follow together. The teams that we follow in sports, the entertainment series that we're watching, or ongoing news stories that we follow as a nation together. What's some of the thinking behind that? Because a lot of people are using various social media for that now, but there are concerns about what's fake and what's real and the tone of the conversation. What's Rafter gonna bring that's different? Yeah, I think that's uh, what's helped open this opportunity is that existing social networks, however amazing and successful they are and how much they've influenced our lives, are increasingly becoming noisy with so much information about things that we may not care about. We have a social graph and that interest graph may or may not overlap and increasingly as our friend groups get bigger and uh, more publishers are trying to get their content seen on networks like Facebook, you end up with a lot of things in your feed that may or may not be your interest. And then on Twitter, again, a very successful social network, it's a little bit intimidating for some because it's become the platform of the celebrities, it's breaking news and celebrities trying to reach people, but it's a little scary if you're not uh, to have a conversation. Neither of them are uh, trending toward conversation networks now. And so we're coming in with more of a conversation network that's fun, that's safe, that's curated. And what's your role with Raptor? I'm a co-founder and CEO. So you've chosen, um, with all of your rich history, to come in with a startup, brand new idea as CEO. You're on the boards of Berkshire Hathaway, Costco. You still on the board of Intel? No, not on Intel. Okay, but you were on Intel. Yep. I mean, you could have been a public company CEO if you wanted to, I'm sure. Why focus on this? Yeah, it's a great question. Well, after I left Yahoo, I spent a few years thinking about what I wanted to do and 
mostly being at home raising my teenage kids. And then I started to get invited to do advisory work on startups. And I started reflecting on my career and I thought about uh, the fact that every major corporation I had worked for and become an executive of, which there are two, Donalds and Lufkin and Yahoo, and every board that I had chosen from Pixar to Berkshire um, to Costco to Intel even, was still founder involved some way. They, had, they were well on their way to product market fit or very successful, but the influence of the founder was still right there and present. And I think I really gravitate toward that kind of company where the, it's a principles-based sort of culture that a founder can, can bring. I thought about leading a, a company that was larger, where I might have been the fourth or fifth CEO in that seat. And I just didn't, I wasn't excited about the opportunity because there's less opportunity to make changes at that time if you're sitting in a seat that someone else has sat in for so long. Conversely, a, a, a total startup was a little scary to me, but I started doing some advisory work and I ended up really getting um, bit by the bug and I, the guy that I thought was the smartest on one of them called me and uh, asked me to start something with him. He's a CTO and co-founder and we've just had a, a blast really focusing on media, which is what I love. Yeah. And uh, we think we've come up with a great product. It's been seven, eight years since you left Yahoo. Mm -hmm. But you've been serving on a lot of boards since then of some pretty powerful companies, spending time with Warren Buffett and others. What have you learned? Well, I've learned a lot from a lot of different people. Uh, I think that uh, every board is very different. Boards are made up of people, and they all have different cultures to them. Uh, but the common theme on any board is all about governance and trying to make sure that the strategy of the CEO that he's or she is taking in the right outside inputs of competition customers. Uh, but ultimately, I think what makes boards effective is is really how the people work together and how they come together to make make decisions. And each one is very different that I'm on, but they're, they have that common tie of the board role doesn't differ too much uh, from company to company. The way it gets implemented differs based on the CEO and the other people in the, in the boardroom. So I imagine the culture of the company then affects the culture of the board. Like Berkshire Hathaway is going to be different from Costco. Absolutely. Certainly different from Pixar. Yes, absolutely. Tell me the Pixar story. How did you end up on the board? Pixar, the reason I ended up on the board is that Steve Jobs recruited me to be their chief financial officer. And I was at Yahoo at the time and I said, I, I really had the best CFO job in the world and I, as much as I respected Steve, I wasn't interested. But he was super persistent <laughs> and he had me come up to uh, the headquarters for the day and I met a lot of people, producers and everyone. And, uh, and I left and said, again, that I really appreciated what he was doing, but I, I really felt like I should stay at Yahoo. And uh, the next thing I knew, he asked me to join the board. Now, I know high-powered business people tend to be like, I never have any regrets, blah, blah, blah. But Pixar's a pretty good job, too. Yeah. Did you make the decision at the time based on all the best information? Or if you had it to do over again, would your calculation be different? No, I, I, I'm very happy with the decision. Being on the board of Pixar was an amazing experience, and yeah. I wouldn't have been on the board had I been the CFO. <laughs> so uh, it, Pixar is a fascinating company, and uh, in fact, the backstory on all this is that Pixar was the first, and Costco was my second board. And the reason I ended up choosing each of those was one of the board members of Yahoo said to me that uh, it's really important when you join a board 
to make sure you learn things that will help you in your current role because obviously it's taking time away from being an executive at your current company and you want to make sure that it actually is enhancing shareholder value, not detracting. So Yahoo, in my mind, was the marriage of content and distribution online. And I thought if I went to a pure content company and learned how they did their business the best and a pure distribution company in the case of Costco, I would learn a lot from either, from both cases that would help me in the Yahoo. So I learned a tremendous amount. It, in Back to your question, Pixar is a wonderful creator of content um, and that is narrowly what they do. They don't do all of the broader things that Yahoo did. So from a CFO perspective, I think the Yahoo experience, which had both ups and downs, was a much uh, a, a greater learning experience. But I, I had a fabulous time learning about the product and experiencing uh, how Steve thinks and uh, for all the way from taking notes on a movie to ultimately deciding to sell to Disney, which is when the board broke up. Um, speaking of, Pixar wasn't always so focused. It started off as more of a hardware company. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Steve Jobs wanted to sell these high-powered computers that would allow other people to make the, the sorts of um, beautiful animations that Pixar ended up making. What is it about focus? Did you get a sense as a board member on a company like Pixar that's extremely focused versus a company like Berkshire Hathaway that's essentially an umbrella over all kinds of different companies at what point and in what circumstances it makes sense to focus on just one thing and doing it well versus having this broad uh, mandate over a bunch of different stuff? Yeah, it's a great question. And I, I would say that I think in both Berkshire's case and in Pixar's case and in Costco's case, doing one thing and doing it exceptionally well is critical. And I'll talk about why. Um, in some ways, Yahoo tried to do too many things and lost a little bit of uh, focus in what it was really good at, which was content, news, sports, finance. Uh, and I think that hurt it because there's only so much resources, so many resources that can be invested. And if it's spread across too many initiatives, that uh, tends to make a company not as good as the best other company out there unless, if they could focus on one. Right. So uh, Pixar, you raised that example. It took them four years to make one movie. Um, you know, they were absolutely legendary about uh, if the movie wasn't going the way, you know, they thought it should go, they would go back and rewrite. And Ratatouille had a lot of that when I was there. So uh, it, it's, it, they weren't going to release it until it was perfect. And that's why every one of them has been a success. Um, at Berkshire, I would say the one thing they do exceptionally well that overwhelms everything else is allocate capital. It's a, they have a number of different businesses, many of which generate cash more than they need, and that is then a tax-efficient transfer of those resources to the ones that consume more capital, and Warren makes those decisions. But even more, he's been able to buy companies at prices that have been very accretive to shareholders because those management teams want a, a home for their company that is going to be a home forever and not a home that might last a five to seven year time horizon of a private equity firm. Right. So in the end, the businesses of Berkshire might grow five, six percent, like sort of GNP on average. But the returns of Berkshire Hathaway have been double that because the capital they generate gets allocated very effectively. And mm. that is the focus of Berkshire. So I see a thread here. 
uh, looking at Steve Jobs and what he did well and how that dovetailed with what his companies did well, what Warren Buffett does well, you know, allocate capital versus what Berkshire Hathaway does well. Uh, you're a founder of a company, Raptor, now. What is the thing that you do exceptionally well and how does that fit in with Raptor's mission? You know, I, I've grown up uh, in the studying or being around media companies since 19, mid-80s. I started as a newspaper analyst and uh, working at 140 Broadway, just a few blocks from here. I just saw that building for the first time in many years. Uh, and uh, and I, I, I have a good take on what happens in the media business strategically over time. And I learned a lot about operating businesses at Yahoo. So I think I have a good combination of strategy and operations mix, which I think also helps me on the boards. In the media business in general, I think you can see uh, what happened as an analog in the, your own business to what's happening now in social media. And what I mean by that is once businesses get formed over time, they begin to verticalize and segment according to different use cases. So take CBS, ABC, and NBC. Over time, new vertical categories of cable came out around special interests. As a, in, in addition, new use cases came up. People as over the top came in, can watch TV when they want versus when it's programmed. I think that's happening before our eyes in social right now. You can see uh, verticalization happening with social networks emerging around a common interest like Nextdoor in your neighborhood right. or Yik Yak in your college or Slack at your office. Um, and I think you're also seeing segmentation on use cases. And the perfect example there for me is you can see that uh, Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat are stratifying according to depth and breadth. At the very top is Instagram with the widest reach and thinnest relationship. You put your very best photo there. Then you have Facebook where you have your, your highlight reel from which you pick that best photo, your Christmas photos, your kids' photos. And then you have Snapchat, which is the behind the scenes all day long messaging with your friends. And it's you might send that out to 100 Snap stories versus 1,000 Facebook friends versus 10,000 Instagram. I think the same thing is happening on the content that is in Twitter, which is news, sports, entertainment. Huh. I think Twitter is going to be at the top, the, the thinnest, broadest reach, breaking news, the way that celebrities get to people. But today there isn't a conversation platform that is fun and easy to use that's much more immediate around these same topics. And that's where we fit. And I think I'm, I'm, I'm good at finding those, I'm good at seeing that kind of thing. Nice, okay. Um, hit the rewind button for me on your own career. You grew up sure. in Colorado. Yes, I did. You've done some homework. <laughs> Tell me, um, what were your favorite subjects in school? What were you into outside of class? Uh, wow, okay. Uh, I, I tend to, I like both. I like to write and English subjects and I like math. I double majored in computer science and economics in 1984. Um, what I like outside is uh, I love skiing. I was on junior ski patrol in Colorado at 15 years old. Um, and I like, I swam competitively, and now I run. I just did my first triathlon in May. Sounds like you did everything. <laughs> so skiing, swimming, running. I like I like sports, and I like um, academics. You like speed? I'm not You've very... been on a motorcycle once or twice, I recall. Yes, I have my motorcycle <laughs> license. I'm, I'm not good at music. I'm not a very arti artistic person. Okay. <laughs> Despite the writing, but you know, yeah, like when write. it comes to the visual arts and music, you're saying that's not. I appreciate not your... them. I just don't. I'm not a good creator. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and then you went to college at Tufts. Mm -hmm. 
did your same focus continue there, or did anything shift uh, what you were looking at doing career-wise? No, I, I continued to swim, swam for Tufts, and I um, focused on computer science and economics at school. So as a parent right now... I have now, a daughter at Tufts now. Though. Yeah. It's a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> we, we won't talk about how long ago it was. Uh, as a parent now, um, as you not only build companies and have a ton of experience talking with other executives, just looking at the economy in general, how do you advise your kids and other kids who ask you uh, for advice on how to chart out and plan what they should do, what they should invest their time in? Yeah, you know, I this is what I love. I mean, I think all of us through our careers start as an individual contributor focusing on building your own brand and being excellent in what you do. And then over time, um, you have children and you become uh, more of a leader in leadership positions. It's all about trying to help others find their potential. So I love being a mom. I love talking to my kids and I love talking to students. And I'd say the single biggest thing is uh, it, it's not unlike an investment where uh, an investment, you think about what your, your outlay is now, but the, the return on it may happen in five to 10 years, right? And most companies trade, S&P might trade for 16 times earnings. Uh, you know, it's, it's how fast those earnings grow in the out years are going to determine really what the value of it is today. So I'd really try not focus on the short term, but rather think about ways to create options for yourself, to develop your skills. It's, I think the 20s, uh, in your 20s and 30s is when you become really excellent at something. And how much it pays for the first job is irrelevant to what you know, the long-term value you're going to create uh, if you make the right choices to develop your skills for later. Last question I'm hoping you can dig into. What was your toughest career moment and how did you climb out of it? I would say, I, I mean, there's so many I could answer. <laughs> the first one that came to mind was when the day I left Yahoo and it was um, early 2009 and in uh, just a replay a little bit, I became president when Jerry became CEO in June 2008. Uh, and Real, or maybe June 2007, yeah, that's right. And so then in, in the following January, so six months later, we were sitting in a board meeting and uh, Jerry's admin came in and said, uh, "There's uh, Steve Ballmer's on the phone. And so we all held the board meeting, Jerry went out and there was this um, offer that came in from Microsoft. And the next six months were about uh, the negotiation there, which ultimately ended in Microsoft leaving. Yahoo shareholders being very disappointed that Yahoo didn't accept the deal sooner. Carl Icahn coming in that summer and having a first activist situation and the board asking Jerry to step down and them asking me to be the inside candidate while they also interviewed outside. So with all that said, uh, I felt really responsible for a lot of things to, you know, to, to keep the trains going. And when the board made their decision to go with Carol Bartz, I sort of, I'm kind of an analytical person, but I made a gut decision and I made it prior to that, that it, with, with, with all good wishes to her, I didn't want to be, redo this same thing with, and be number two in, a, in another regime that was going to redo a lot of things Jerry and I had done together. Because in some sense, uh, one of the hits against you was that you hadn't been rah-rah Microsoft. So, yeah. and, and Jerry wasn't. So you could have been, again, kind of thrown in under a different CEO's decisions and had your fate affected by that. Yeah, and I mean, I think Jerry and I presented a united front in that situation and, um, and and I really believed in what we were trying to do to turn it around. And so I felt like she needed the space 
to do what she needed to do. I mean, if I say she could have fired me, I have no idea, but it was, it was a moment. I made the decision because I just felt like I couldn't, I didn't want to be a number two again in a new regime with a new strategy that would take a year to figure out. And it was one of those gut decisions that turned out to be the one of some, such a good decision in my life for all kinds of reasons that um, let me be around for my kids when they were growing up and really reflect after the fire hose that I had been drinking for so long on what I really wanted to do. And how did you turn the page on that whole ordeal? I, well, I, I, I left when I found out and then I really just took some time to reflect on what I wanted to do. And that's when I started advising startups and working on my boards and, um, and trying to help when, you know, each leader came into Yahoo. I, I mean, I have the very best intentions. I really wish the company could have turned around. I really hoped the best for it. But for me, it was a the right decision in that case was to step out and step aside and let someone else take the reins. Well, you've had a rich experience, and uh, thank you for sharing that yeah. with our listeners. Thank you, John. Thanks for having me. My thanks to Sue Decker. I'm John Fort from CNBC, and this has been Fort Knox, rich ideas and powerful people. Subscribe on Apple's podcast app, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are distributed. Please do leave a review if you enjoyed this. And check out Fort Knox Live on Facebook, Twitter, and Periscope, usually Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern. There I tackle some of the most interesting business and economic issues with a little help from my friends at CNBC and from you. Next on the podcast... Michael Phelps is the most decorated Olympian of all time with 28 medals. At 32 years old, newly married and a father, he swears he's done with competitive swimming. But what's he just beginning? Well, the business of Michael Phelps. We talk about the hard work that got him to the point where he's one of the most promising global brands in all of sports and what he's going to focus that competitive energy on next. Go ahead and subscribe to Fort Knox now on your iPhone's podcast app or Google Play. You don't want to miss that. Meanwhile, share this, tell a friend, drop me a note on Facebook, Twitter, or fortknox.com, that's F-O-R-T-T-K-N-O-X.com, and as always, thank you for lending an ear.